Well, good morning. You know, I can't help but think that Jesus, who is present right now with us, is looking down and he is pleased that of all the things you could have been doing today, you decided to come and worship with a congregation and remember that he is the Lord of all, the risen Savior who has come to save us from our sin. I, I just want you to turn to the person next to you and say, I think God's real happy that you're here. Come on, do that, yeah. And we're so glad that you're here too. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at some words that Jesus spoke from the cross. These would be certainly among his last words, and last words are very significant. Um, for instance, we began when Andrew spoke about how Jesus on the cross he cried out these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that is the most amazing statement after being brutally beaten uh, almost to death, disfigured, and then nailed to a cross. Jesus looks down at his accusers and his crucifiers, and he says this, Father, forgive them. Do you think God would forgive you? I think he would. Ben talked about last week how that Jesus had a conversation with the other two men that were on a cross as well. So three men were on a cross. It's pretty well known. Jesus is typically seen as being in the middle of these two thieves. And in that conversation, they at first were mocking Jesus, but then all of a sudden one of those thieves came to a moment of clarity and he looks at Jesus in that moment and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom, to which Jesus replies, Today you'll be with me in paradise. And today I want to look at the phrase also from the cross where Jesus says, it is finished, and only then did he give up his spirit and die. And when he did that, the sky was dark, the earthquake, the veil of the temple was torn in two, godly people came out of their graves. Can't give you a big explanation about that, but that's what's recorded in the gospel. And something monumental had taken place. Something was shifting in the world at a level that you and I cannot fully understand. Jesus cries out, it is finished. So the question is what was finished you know amazingly Jesus could at any point on the cross gotten off the cross because he was God and in fact he even told his disciples when he was arrested put the sword away don't you know that at any minute I can call legions of angels to come and rescue me Jesus then said uh, you know what no one takes my life from me but I lay my life down Greater love has no one than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends, and you are my friends, and that's why I'm laying my life down. Jesus was on the cross because he decided to be on the cross until he was able to declare, it is finished. What was finished? What was he doing that we couldn't see and fully appreciate well, when John the Baptist introduced, introduced Jesus at the first time, he, he said this, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody understood that every year at Passover, a lamb was taken and slain. And that lamb was the substitutionary sacrifice for the sin of the people. And John the Baptist says, there he is. And how does he describe him? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was conceived, Joseph, uh, as Jesus, he was in the womb of Mary, uh, the angel came to Joseph and said, I want, I want you to name him Jesus 
for he will save his people from their sin. I think certainly that's one of the things that Jesus was doing. And from that point on, after he was born, he battled with Satan and all the forces of evil. He came against sickness and death. He raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead. His agenda, his mission was to restore the kingdom of heaven to the created world and to the people he loved. I think John 3.16 still is my most favorite passage in the Bible because when I was four years old, that was the verse I had memorized and that's the verse that bathed my soul with the hope when I became afraid to die. And it goes like this. For God so loved the world. I don't know what you think God thinks about you today, but I just want you to hear what that verse says. Do you know what God feels toward you? He loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what? As a four-year-old, I prayed, God, I don't want to perish. I want to have everlasting life. My prayer was simple and to the point and it came right out of this passage. In verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. His agenda is pretty clear, plainly stated. Do you know God knows every one of the sins in your life that you wish nobody ever knew and you had never done and you, you think surely God doesn't care about me I don't know if there's any hope for me and this verse says no 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 you are wrong God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish you don't have to perish but have everlasting life because God has not come to condemn you but that the world through him might be saved would you like to be saved This was the mission. It was what he was doing on the cross. He was paying a high price for the sin of mankind. He was rescuing us from perishing. He had come to step in the way of our condemnation and take the, the, the punishment of our sin in himself because he had come to save. John eleven twenty five to 26 Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now here, I'm gonna recommend this. You, all of us in this room will face death one day. This needs to be a verse on our lips as the, as the moment of, of fear and uncertainty grip us. If you have Jesus as your savior, you will not die. Jesus says, if you have me, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me and you receive me, even if you die, you will still live. And if you live in me, you will never die. I need these verses. Today is Resurrection Sunday. I mean, it's properly called Easter, but the honest truth is the agenda of this day is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in the early church, they had this tradition, which I always resurrect. That's pretty, no pun intended. Resurrect every Easter. So if you've been here before on an Easter, you might have done this. They had this tradition that they would greet each other, not hi, hello, how you doing, how's the weather? Okay, that's our, that's our way. But they would come together and they were so marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how they would greet each other. They would say, he is risen. And they're speaking of Jesus. And the response would be, 
he is risen indeed. What that means is, oh yeah, he's, he's alive, he is risen. So I want us to do that right now, okay? Will you join me? I'm gonna start with he is risen, you respond, he is risen indeed. Can, we, can you do, have you got it? Thank you. Here we go, he is risen. Man, that was beautiful. Let's do it again. He is risen. The third time, he is risen. And that's why we're here today. Because if we had a dead savior, what use is a dead savior? In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. There is, there is this miraculous design of God through the person and the sacrifice of Jesus to absolutely strip away our sins and infuse us with a brand new DNA called the righteousness of Christ. I, I wanna just point out three things that Jesus was doing and then he said, it's finished. And he gave up his spirit. The first thing is this. Jesus put death to death. Death is our greatest fear and is our most formidable enemy. You know, I hate death. I absolutely hate it. And because of what I do as a pastor, I am often with families who are grieving the loss of a loved one. And the pain and the loss and, uh, that comes at, with death is profound. Whether the person who passed is 100 years old or a baby that's just a few weeks old, I hate the idea. I hate the feeling of death. It, it is not the way it's supposed to be. Our souls rebel against this because the people that we love, we don't want them to see them grow old and, and, and to not be able to continue and to live and thrive and, and we don't want to watch them die. And when we see the young die, it's almost like this is just even more painful than we can, we can know how to deal with. I have a son, James. Um, he, 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 he was born with a disability, he has Down syndrome, and he is the most delightful, fun guy in my house, honestly. Um, and, but the one thing is, he loves to celebrate his birthday, and he's going to turn 27 this year. Now, we begin planning his 27th birthday the day after his 26th birthday. It's a little bit drive me nuts. James, we're not talking about your birthday for six months. Let's get past Christmas. His birthday's in July. And, and then we can talk about your birthday. I can't stand it. He's inviting people to his birthday. I have people come up to us and say, hey, you know, James just invited me to his birthday party. <laughs> That's really good. But, you know, his birthday's not really till July. So just so you know, if you get invited, uh, come. But um, I always like to say to James, James, he's a dad. You exciting? You exciting? I'm at 27. His language is so adorable, honestly. Yeah, James, I'm excited about you being 27. Man, you're getting old. And immediately he protests, no, older. I'm no old. You know why? Because James understands that old people die. Grandma died, Grammy died, Grandpa died. I mean, and he, he doesn't want to get old. Don't give him that label old. When I talked to him about one day, we're going to see Grammy and Grandpa and Grandma and your granddaddy, and, 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 and we're going to go to heaven. He goes, no, I know, I know heaven. Do you know why? Because everybody he knows who's in heaven had to die first. He hates death. 
I hate death. Aubrey de Grey is an English author and a biomedical gerontologist. And, um, you know, take a look, take a look at this guy. I, I just had to give you his picture because he has such a cool look for what he, you know what he did? He's the author of the my, mitochondrial free radical theory of aging and co-author of Ending Aging. In his writings, he argues that immor, immortality was theoretically possible. Since then, he's been promoting his ideas from prominent platforms like the BBC, the Pages of the Wired, the TED Talk stage. Uh, unlike most scientists, he isn't shy about making bold predictions. He, he, he believes, for example, that the first person who will live to be a thousand years old has most likely already been born. Now, if you, before you just dismiss this guy as just sort of being out there, I want you to know that the celebrity billionaires have gotten behind this idea of solving the problem of aging. Sam Sheed, writing for CNBC, writes the following. All things must die, according to the poet Alfred Lord Tennyson, but that could be about to change. A growing number of tech billionaires have decided they want to use their enormous wealth to try to help humans cheat death. Amazon's Jeff Bezos, Alphabet's Larry Page, Oracle's Lev, uh, Larry Ellison, uh, and, and Palantir Peter Thiel. Uh, among, these are just a few among the super rich who have a keen interest in the fast emerging field of longevity. According to interviews, books, and media reports, these wealthy investors have poured millions into the effort to live forever. Well, breakthroughs are far from guaranteed. Don't be planning your thousandth birthday party. I'm just saying, don't put a deposit down just quite yet. They hope that various medicines, therapies, and other life science technologies will, will enable humans to live beyond 100 years old and possibly to 200 or 300 or even longer. And I actually love the idea. Don't you? Um, living forever is a tremendous idea except for when you factor in the fact that living forever in a fallen, broken world has its problems. One of my favorite stories is the story of a couple ministry students who were attending a Bible college and they were instructed to go door to door and engage people in conversation. And so these two guys knocked on a door one afternoon. Uh, he, they were gonna share the good news with people that Jesus had come to save them and give them everlasting life. And so they knocked on the door and this woman opened the door with a babe in arms, another little one holding her skirt. There, were, there, was, there was one child behind her jumping from couch to chair, couch to chair, and another couple of kids that were fighting over a favorite toy. And they asked this woman, would you like to live forever? That was the instruction they were given. And she looked at them and looked back at her kids and she says, I don't think I can stand it. Actually, one of the saddest things in our world is the rate of suicide and despair. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention recently reported that more than 100,000 drug overdose deaths 
during the 12-month period ending April 2021, a 28.5% increase over the prior year. Most of these deaths were attributed to the use of synthetic opioids. And why do we go to drugs and alcohol? Because life is just so hard. It's painful. Just being alive isn't all we need. We have now a new term, deaths of despair, that comes from Princeton economist Ann Case and August Deaton. They set out to understand and account for the fact that life expectancies for the first time in a long time in the U.S. are not rising but falling, and they decided and they discovered that it's because of overdoses, suicide, alcohol, alcoholic liver disease, and it, it is just a sad state of living life as a human being in a fallen world with a fallen nature. When Jesus came to earth, he announced this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. We live in a world that includes death, pain, abuse, violence, sickness, hopelessness, and a constant struggle. Jesus, the very son of God, came to deliver us from this life of pain and death to a new life of hope and meaning and purpose. This is our soul's longing, a place where death and sin and betrayal and loss no longer enter our minds and experiences. No more kids are thrown into the foster care system because mom and dad had a problem and couldn't figure it out and they became sort of the shrapnel of the explosion of life. Jesus came to make all things new. The problem is not just dying, it is having life that is rich, satisfying, and good. If you think about living forever, that means that the murderers and the thieves and the corrupt and the abuse, uh, abusive, uh, the, 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 the tyrants of this world would have all of these years to just hone their skills and life here on earth would not get better but we get more difficult. Jesus says this in John 10, 10 to 11, the thief, he's speaking of Satan, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and you might have it more abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. He was talking about being on the cross. I'm paying Jesus rolls back the curtain and tells us that in fact, we do have a powerful enemy who is working to destroy us. You and I have an enemy who is Satan himself, who is powerful and his designs are intentional to kill, to steal, and to destroy. No wonder we struggle. And Jesus says, but I'm not gonna let him have the last word. I have come to give you life and to give your life more abundantly. This is what he came to do. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He was dealing with death. Jesus did not ignore death, he faced death down. He was the source of life, the giver and sustainer of life, and on the cross, he died to put death to death and offer to those who believe eternal life. He, by his dying, he had he had the power to issue a standing order and offer in his own resurrection 
that you too can conquer death through me. What was Jesus doing on the cross? He says, I can't get off of this cross until I finish the task. That task will include dying. I will stare death in the face and I will let it take me. And I, through my death, will put death to death. Second thing he did, Jesus paid for our sin. He paid for our sin. To fully understand the agony of the cross, we have to go back probably to the Garden of Gethsemane because it's a beautiful picture of the agony that Jesus experienced knowing that he would die on the cross and he would receive in his body the sin of the world, the suffering, the humiliation, the fact that the Father would have to, at that moment, turn his face away and Jesus would cry out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, sometimes a question doesn't need an answer or is not intended to ask for an answer. Jesus knew exactly what was going on, but his cry was, this is what I'm feeling. I've never felt this before in all of eternity. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken this? And in that moment, a heaviness came over him. And in the mysterious passage where it talks about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it talks about how that he became exceedingly sorrowful and distressed as he anticipated the cross. Why was Jesus anticipating this agony? Because the sinless, eternal Son of God, the giver and sustainer of life itself, was about to do the unthinkable. And the agony of that moment is seen as he prays, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is it possible that I won't have to do this? Knowing for a well that he would have to, he, he, you know, he expresses the agony of his soul. And Jesus then responds to the silence, not my will but yours be done. And he prays this prayer three times. Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass. You know what he's doing? He says, you, you've got to understand, it cost me so much. This was so hard. This was the heavy lift of eternity and the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus each time answers, not my will, but yours be done. You know, the idea of the cup is, is a very common understanding commonly understood as a way of execution. If you think about Socrates, he was given a cup of poison and he drank the cup. And, and it, it was not just death. It, it was a judicial execution. And the disciples understood Jesus using these terms, that Jesus was, was going to receive the outpouring of the wrath of God, the outpouring of God's wrath. And it was a function of the justice of God. And the cup Jesus speaks of is he would pay for the sin of all people throughout all time. Jesus would drink the cup and would in his torture and death experience the full divine wrath on evil and sin committed by all human beings. Nothing like this death has ever happened before or ever will be repeated. In this moment, it is as if the agony of Christ begins and it continues until he gets to the cross 
you, you and I have no idea how much he paid, how, how it felt, the agony he experienced, but he refused to stop it. He was going to accomplish the will of God and pay for the sin of the world. Otherwise, you and I would have no hope. And then only after it was paid, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You and I can be forgiven today if we will believe in Jesus. You say, but yeah, you have no idea how ugly and complex and disappointing the story of my life is. I don't think God really wants to entertain me. And you know what? If you look at the cross and you hear what Jesus is saying, he's saying, oh, don't you think, don't you think that what I did for you was just like a little band-aid or sweep it under the rug? No, I went to the cross. I drank the cup of the wrath of God for you. Do not disrespect my sacrifice. Please believe in me and receive the forgiveness that has been paid for. Honestly, all of us are sinful and deserve judgment. We're all the same. Our stories are different, but our status is the same. The picture of God that is many times painted is that God happily and gleefully gives human beings their due and with a smile casts them into hell for all of eternity with a kind of you deserve that attitude. Here in the garden and on the cross, we see the son of God agonizing over the salvation of mankind. There's no smiling going on here. This is a God who is willing to pay a high price so that we will not have to taste the wrath of the judgment of God. God is a God of justice and someone had to pay and if it had not been for Jesus, we would all have to drink our own cup. But Jesus says, no. I'm gonna do it for you. You know, sometimes I think people have this idea and you may have heard this expressed. Uh, you know, I just don't wanna have God in my life. I don't need him telling me what to do or... And when we live with this attitude, what we do is we choose to order our, our lives outside of the plans of, and the purposes of God. We believe that we can be a fine source of our own salvation and we can develop our own well-being and goodness. Uh, and our tycoons feel like maybe we can even find a way to cheat death. When our prayer is, God, leave me alone and let me live the life I want to live. Get out of my life. Unfortunately, God may very well grant your request. But he pleads with you from a cross. And he says, you know what? Um, would you please just hear that I love you so much? I know exactly what you've done. I drank the cup for you. I paid for you. Believe in me. I didn't come to condemn. I came to forgive.
and to save. Even people who have decided that they don't believe in the existence of God live with the benefits of a good God who every day delivers a beautiful sun in the sky. Well, we've got one today. The blue sky, the green grass, the food that we enjoy, the breath that we breathe. But ultimately, if you refuse to be in the kingdom of God, and you'd rather be separate from God, none of that will be there for you. Jesus on the cross is paying for our sin. It was agonizing and costly, but Jesus paid because he loves you. Can you hear that? Hebrews 12, 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He went to a cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before him? It was you. It was saving you. It was bringing you into his kingdom so that you could live forever in his presence in a world as it was meant to be. Lastly, why did Jesus go to the cross and what was he finishing? It was, he, was, he was finishing the renewal of all things began at the resurrection. All that is wrong began to become undone. That's a poor quote from Lord of the Rings. But you know what Jesus says? He says, you know what? I'm on your side. I'm here to rescue you and save you and give you everlasting life that you will enjoy throughout all of eternity. When you receive forgiveness of sin, you'll be transformed by a power you can't fully understand, but it's real. Third thing that he was accomplishing was the renewal of all things. He wouldn't get off the cross until it was done. The idea of heaven is the restoration of God with his people. It's all about restoring the sweet, intimate communion with God. I mean, it's about having a relationship with God. I mean, we, we lost that in the garden, and Genesis tells the story, but Jesus comes to restore what was broken. What it was broken. Often the image was of, that Jesus used was coming home. One of the best known parables is the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus talks about the father's house. The son who walked away in rebellion and squandered it all in riotous living. He eventually was alone, hungry. And when he came to his senses, he made his way back to the father's house, not hoping to be a son, but just to be a servant. But he was received and restored. And in John 14, 1, 1 it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you 
the Father wants his children back. I'm a father of five. And um, I haven't got a chance to tell you, but while I was in Greece a couple weeks ago, I had a grandbaby. I didn't have it. His, her, her name is Macy Jane. And she's adorable. And now there's two of them. And I'm always amazed by how much I love my kids. And my greatest joy is to be with them. And you know what God would say to you? I died on a cross for the joy set before me. And you know what that joy is? Is that is I want you. I want you. I want you so much I paid for you. I drank the cup of wrath that justice requires for you. And you, you don't have to live in fear of death because while it's kind of a scary moment, I'm sure, there is this thing called the resurrection because you know what is said. He is risen. And everybody answers, and yes, he is. To live life with the hope of the resurrection is a game changer. To live life knowing that this great God of heaven saw us in our sin and sent his son and Jesus fully paid the price so that he could give away salvation to those who believe, to those who ask. Reminds me of the story of the two guys who were best friends and they loved baseball and they had an argument throughout their life about whether or not there would be baseball in heaven. What do you think? Do you love baseball? Well, they had the argument. They loved baseball so much they, they made a deal. Okay, whoever dies first and gets to heaven I want you to come back and tell, we're going to come back and tell the other one whether or not there's baseball in heaven. And so one of the friends died. And then he comes back in a vision to his friend and he says, hey, I've got some good news and, the ba and some bad news. The good news is there is baseball in heaven. And he says, really? He said, the bad news, you're pitching Friday. Are you laughing at death? That wasn't from the Bible, by the way. But it is an application of the resurrection. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now I want to ask you to stand.